There's a quote I love that says, the great person is the one who does not lose his or her child heart. And my child heart is something that I've had to tap back into because I kind of feel like at that age of 14, I completely stopped growing in many ways emotionally. I kind of stayed stuck. So like, like my child's heart was getting smushed and my grown-up heart wasn't building a foundation for growth. So this set into place what I call in my courses FAR, F-A-R, which is you have fear or discomfort in my case, and you take an action. In my case, it was drinking, but you can insert any of your actions that are going on or have gone on for you. And that participating in that action of fear from fear leads to A, arrested development, right? And then you're stuck in that arrested development. For me, it was not really like nurturing my child's heart or, again, setting the foundation for adulthood. And then that sends you right back to fear, so you're on repeat. Fear, arrested development, repeat. So it's on this cycle, right? I also, at that age, fell in love for the first time, had my first boyfriend. And um, something we'll discuss in later episodes, too, is like my history with flirting and that being another kind of addiction. But we're going to park that for now and go back into my past. So I went to boarding school for the last three years of high school in Massachusetts, and that really saved my life. I, I grew up with anything and everything I could ever want, but again, my dad was making ends meet. My mom went back to work when I was in second grade, and um, they were both working really hard to give us the life and the lifestyle that we had. You have found the place to be. This is the Self-Love Peddler Show. I'm Sophie McCallum, your personal self-love peddler. Please leave the single narrative, airbrushed, beauty bot images you have been forced fed at the door. Here we examine our relationship with our bodies and the many shapes and nuances our bodies have. The only way to end women's cycle of body shaming, judgment, and self-loathing is through a common pact and plan to change the way we collectively think about our bodies and the bodies of those around us. Welcome to the journey. So I saw Olivia Newton-John and I knew that's what I wanted to be. And when my life got a little bit messier, my mother would often say, I knew I took you to Greece when you were too young. You know, like like every bad move was because of that movie. And, and actually, I went on to find out that if you watch R-rated movies as a child, you are for much, much, much more likely to dabble in drugs and alcohol and sex and stuff. But that being said, my kids and I enjoy a ton of R-rated movies. So there came this time where I started to have this deep feeling of being less than, of not fitting in. It's like I had all of this self-confidence. People who grew up with me would be so surprised to hear me say this. I would like socially be very, very confident, but down in my bones, in my fascia, I was just like, oh, I don't know if it was imposter syndrome. I think that if you, to have imposter syndrome, you have to be trying to be something. So it couldn't have been that because I didn't even know what I was trying to be except myself. There was a separation from myself. There was who I showed up as and who I was on the inside. And there was a divide between there. And that divide would come out in the form of anger and fear. Um, I would brush my hair. And when I was done brushing my hair, I would hit myself over the head as hard as I could with a hairbrush. And what's amazing is I have shared that fact with so many women 
And so many women have said, me too, which is like just such a reminder that your dark shit that you think is so unique is not. And sharing it can be helpful not only to you, but to others. Do what you will with that. So I had two parents who didn't really drink. My dad is the most controlled drinker on the planet. And my mom, I don't really remember her drinking when I was a kid. But we they like to entertain. So we had a liquor cart in our living room. But no one was really monitoring the liquor cart because no one was really drinking. And if something disappeared, it was like, oh, someone must have drunk that. But um, it wasn't like a place that anyone was going back to. And there was a bottle that had my last name on it, McCallum, and it had a, you know, a proper Scottish guy in his kilts with a bagpipe. And I don't know what my dad filled it with, but he filled it with something. It, you know, it was, it was uh, you know, some kind of whiskey. And I remember like having feelings of uncomfortability, a word I used to think wasn't a real word, but it actually is. I would have these feelings, discomfort, uncomfortability, and something led me to that dude. And I would grab the bottle with that dude on it and I would just take a swig and I would feel it just sort of go down through my body. And I loved that feeling. And I remember being extremely young. I remember once having a talk with my mother about something because I had been upset. And she looked at me and said, have you been drinking? Because she smelled it. And I just played dumb because I think I was like eight. I was like, what? What do you mean? And lying came so easily to me. So, so easily to me. And, you know, now I don't lie. Lying is so not aligned with who I am because I know who I am. And back then it didn't even feel like wrong. Lying didn't feel wrong. It's just something that I did because I was good at it. Like there was no emotion around it. Um, doesn't make it right just the way it was. And then when I was 10, I was out in Wyoming with my family at a dude ranch, something you were invited to do once you were 10 or older at my grandfather's treat. And um, I got the dudes at the ranch to give me a few Budweiser's and I drank them. And then I, I remember walking, I was in, you know, this is a girl from the Upper East Side of New York City and I'm walking in my cowboy boots in the Bighorn Mountains at night with the stars above me. And if you've ever been in the mountains of Wyoming, the stars are, you don't need to tell the universe to, to join you because it's already there. And I had this buzz on from these Budweiser's. And I just remember thinking, this is the way I want to feel for the rest of my life. I am thrilled to introduce you to my newest course, Mastering Your Love Centers Through Conscious, Compassionate Self-Love. Your love centers are your main areas in your life in which you put energy. Our goal together is to encompass these centers with conscious, compassionate self-love so that this boundless and self-expanding love can grow into the life we have always known we were meant to live. Someone once asked me, what are you waiting for? This one question sparked the light in my soul. At the time, I was living unconsciously, without intention, without awareness, without love and balance. Bringing conscious, compassionate self-love to our centers helps us identify where we're placing our energy and where we want or need fulfillment. Now I ask you, 
What are you waiting for? Join me inside of Mastering Your Love Centers through conscious, compassionate self-love. That, coupled with my desire to be Sandy at the end of the movie, sort of sent me on this pretty destructive trajectory, like a launch pad. (laughs) And by 15, uh, really by 14, I was smoking a lot of weed, and I was blacking out, drinking every weekend. So there's a quote I love that says, the great person is the one who does not lose his or her child heart. And my child heart is something that I've had to tap back into because I kind of feel like at that age of 14, I completely stopped growing in many ways emotionally. I kind of stayed stuck. So like like my child's heart was getting smushed and my grown-up heart wasn't building a foundation for growth. So this set into place what I call in my courses FAR, F-A-R, which is you have fear or discomfort in my case, and you take an action. In my case, it was drinking, but you can insert any of your actions that are going on or have gone on for you. And that participating in that action of fear from fear leads to A, arrested development, right? And then you're stuck in that arrested development. For me, it was not really like nurturing my child's heart or, again, setting the foundation for adulthood. And then that sends you right back to fear. So you're on repeat, fear, arrested development, fear, arrested development, repeat. So it's on this cycle, right? I also at that age fell in love for the first time, had my first boyfriend. Something we'll discuss in later episodes too is like my history with flirting and that being another kind of addiction. But we're going to park that for now and go back into my past. So I went to boarding school for the last three years of high school in Massachusetts. And that really saved my life. You know, we were not, I, I grew up with anything and everything I could ever want. But again, my dad was making ends meet. My mom went back to work when I was in second grade. And um, they were both working really hard to give us the life and the lifestyle that we had. So I wasn't going to go to boarding school and get thrown out and have my parents have worked really hard to uh, give me this gift. So I got to boarding school and I really didn't party. I smoked weed a couple of times, but then I was like, it it wasn't even like fun there. Like when you grow up smoking weed and like cruising through the streets of New York to like, I don't know, it just, it didn't appeal to me. I was complete. And also there were so many things to do. And it's one reason my kids go to boarding schools and for the culture in which I grew up, it, it's a really wonderful way to keep your kids busy doing lots of different things. I personally think young children in New York City, awesome. And then when they get a little older, it's fun for them to go out and explore things with, with some bumpers on of boarding school. So the first time I came back from boarding school, the moment I was alone, I went to my parents' wine rack and drank more than one bottle of Pinot Grigio uh, warm. I don't know how much I drank. I proceeded to call that boyfriend that I had when I was 15, my first love, and meet him in Central Park. And I vaguely remember just throwing up all over a tree while he walked away. So like all of my desire to drink and use alcohol destructively was building up while I was at boarding school. And the second I got home, it just erupted. And my oldest brother, Paul, was in New York from California at the time. And he found me passed out on the bathroom floor. And he and his wife 
sort of picked me up and wiped me off. And somehow I managed to get us all out to Long Island on the Long Island Railroad. I just remember him saying, like, do you know how to get to Long Island? Can you get us to Long Island? <laughs> and and I did because my parents were out there. And um, <laughs> I just remember my mother saying, is Sophie okay? And Paul being like, oh, yeah, she's fine. He was a champ. So – you know, that that's like was sort of like my luscious gate into early addiction. Like I had the ability to to control it and like go off the rails and it was kind of funny and everybody would be like, ha silly Sophie, sometimes more, sometimes yes. It's like this yo-yo until eventually you find yourself at the bottom and we will get there. But uh, after boarding school, I moved back to New York City. I decided to go to NYU the summer before my senior year of, of boarding school or I guess during my senior year of boarding school started dating a much, much older man. Um, I was a girl. He was a man. And um, I noticed that a lot of young girls who have addiction issues are drawn to dating older men. And I think it really supports like our, our arrested development. It's like they, first of all, it gives us access to drugs and alcohol. And also like it, it gets us to sort of like builds up this persona that we're like these fake adults, right? But we haven't set that foundation to be adults. We're still in that childish form that we never really like completed because, you know, you start to fuck with your brain chemistry. You start to have like inactive areas of your brain and your development literally physiologically stops. So like if you're with an older man, again, you can get your booze, you can get your drugs and you can play house. Like it's, it's odd, but it's incredibly common. That's something else that I've shared with other women. And they're like, yeah, me too. I did the same thing. So I, I, I don't really want to dive into it too much, but also like the older men that date younger women also are often not like the beacons of sanity and mental wellness. Like there's a lot of stuff going on there, but I don't think I'm ever going to dive into that. So when I got to NYU, I was a vocal performance major because remember, I was going to be a rock star. I was a vocal performance major, and um, at a certain point, I switched to be a music business major, which caused me to take a lot of economic classes, which was not a happy place. Um, but I basically did as much cocaine as I could possibly do while I was at NYU, and and that was a lot. <laughs> and you know, when I when I now see college age women who are like pursuing businesses while they're at school and networking and doing all of the things that I now in my late forties am just starting to do, I can't help but wonder like, what would it have been like if I had like actually let myself appropriately developed so that I could have done all of those things on the sort of like society's time frame. Because the nice thing about that is you feel less alone. But you know what? I'm doing it now. So I, I've come to see all of this as steps to get me where I am today. It's where I love being and I'm exactly where I'm meant to be today. So, um, and I, I also do that even with my kids when I like see them at certain developmental points and I think about what I was doing at that point. It's like, oh my God, I was doing this then. What would it be like if? And it's you know, if I do that for a second, like they always say, like, look at the past, but don't stare, like glance back, take a moment, but then move on and know that it all happened for a reason, as I said in the beginning of my rant. Um, but I, I was I was miserable enough at NYU that I knew I wasn't going to go back for a second year. I was going to leave school. I didn't really have a plan. I like to say that I left school to become a rock star, but the reality is that year that I spent away from school, very few notes of music were actually played or written. 
that summer, I graduated with a pretty good grade point average because I knew I might want to go back someday and I should have grades that could get me into a school. But I basically sat in a, in a hammock all summer, hung over, waiting for my man friend to come home from work so that we could drink and do cocaine. I lived a lot with my grandmother at that time and my grandfather in Long Island because um, it was close to man friend's house, but I couldn't at that age like live at man friend's house. And so my grandmother would pay me, like overpay me to clean her above ground pool. That was my job. <laughs> and I remember... Like the first day she showed me how to do it, I was so hungover. Oh my God, I was so brutally hungover. And um, the only drink that they had in their house, now they had a lot of drinks, but the only the one I went for that morning was cranberry juice. So I like, I remember walking in and when no one was looking, just like guzzling the cram cold cranberry juice out of the bottle. And then we're up, she's showing me how to clean the pool. And the dogs are all running below the fence of this above ground pool. And all of a sudden, like, I'm going to hurl. Like, nothing's going to stop me. They, like, she's going to blow. <laughs> and I lean over the, like, stockade fence that surrounded this above ground pool. And I just let it rip. And Duffy, this little fluffy white dog, like, ran right under me as I barfed. And I turned that dog pink with cranberry juice <laughs> and like this is a story that like my grandmother like she'll still tell like remember the time and then Duffy was pink like like I was I was nurturing like a severe alcohol issue <laughs> and my family's like ha ha the dog is pink <laughs> um also when I lived at my grandmother's house I um I had an out-of-body experience one night Again, not sober. I thought that the armoire next to me attacked me. And my body literally came out of myself to attack the armoire back. And then I had to fight my way back into my body. So I have heard other people, other people who abuse substances having these out-of-body experiences. And I did indeed have one. And it scared the living shit out of me. And um, I went into my grandmother and grandfather's bedroom like in tears. And um, I don't remember the conversation we had, but I went back to bed. Um, so the fall started to come and I, I didn't really know what I was going to do after this amazing summer of cleaning my grandmother's one pool. So this family asked me to move to Wyoming and manage their hotel. So come September, I got on a plane and I flew to Wyoming. And um, there I met Mr. Jack Daniels. And he and I had a great time together. I did not do drugs. and Well, I didn't do cocaine in Wyoming, which was my drug of choice. But I drank a lot. Uh, I made friends out there. They were all quite a bit older than I was. And I was pretty uncomfortable. I, I love like a little hike up a mountain. But I'm not like your rock climbing carabiner, like fucking plastic, huge water bottle strapped to my backpack, backcountry, fucking hike up the mountain and ski down. It's not me. I love nature. And again, I like to work out, but I never, like, there's something about that, like, West vibe that didn't resonate with me. So I was constantly, like, a little bit uncomfortable. So I got a lot of jobs. Like, I thought, okay, if I work a lot, then I will be busy. You know, I'll just... I, w I won't have to like kind of like deal with anyone. 
If you are craving to go deeper on your self-love and body love journey, please join me inside my private Facebook group, The Self-Love Shack. We meet once a week to continue our discussions and go deeper. You can also check out my self-love courses and coaching options at selflovepeddler.com. Follow the link in the show description for more details. I leave you with this. The only way to end women's cycle of body shaming, judgment, and self-loathing is through a common pact and plan to change the way we collectively think about our bodies and the bodies of those around us. Sending you peace.